You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. You're listening to South Dakota Unlimited, the podcast for the average South Dakota sportsman, where we talk everything outdoors, hunting, fishing, trapping, conservation, and anything else that impacts you as a sportsman in the 605. Hosted by C.J. Peters. Now let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. It is most definitely the start of summer now. When this episode launches, we are now the Tuesday past Memorial Day, which to me is the official kickoff for summer, and more importantly, summer scouting. So I'm looking forward to getting my boat out, doing some fishing, and most definitely getting some trail cameras out and seeing what is out there this year. Also, PSA, if you have not yet and you are planning on hunting deer with a firearm this year, you have until June 11th to get your application in. So get that done, hop on GFP, go check it out, figure out what you want to do. On today's episode, I got to talk with two gentlemen who are very busy making sure we continue to enjoy the hunting heritage in the great state of South Dakota. Mr. Chris Hesla the Executive Director of South Dakota Wildlife Federation, and Mr. Zach Hunky, the President of South Dakota Wildlife Federation. This is an episode I have wanted to do since I started this podcast, and I am incredibly excited about this one. If you don't know who or what the South Dakota Wildlife Federation is, definitely give this one a listen. They do a ton of work behind the scenes, lobbying constantly in the state legislation to be the advocates we as sportsmen and women need to make sure that the state is looking out for the best interest of our natural resources, namely our land, wildlife, and water resources. And also ensuring that we as sportsmen are able to enjoy these resources fully. This is an episode uh, that I think will kick off the conservation series I have wanted to do for a while, pretty much since the podcast started. And over the next several months, uh, or however long it takes, I will hopefully be getting people on from all conservation organizations such as Ducks Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl, uh, National Wild Turkey Federation, Trout Unlimited, organizations like that. Uh, in South Dakota to tell us who they are, what projects they're working on in South Dakota to make sure that the wildlife is being looked out for. So be on the lookout for those um, since they will be kind of rolling out. 
Uh, I'm incredibly passionate about conservation. That that's what grinds my well, not really grinds my gears, but gets me going. Uh, and making sure that these resources are around for as long as they possibly can be, and hopefully long after I am gone. Uh, one last thing, if you could please do me a huge favor and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from, and please. Go follow South Dakota Unlimited on Facebook and Instagram. Message me. Let me know what you think of these episodes, good or bad. And let me know what you want to hear on this podcast. I will try to tailor it to what you all want to hear. And with all that said and done, let's get started with South Dakota Wildlife Federation. All right. On the line with me, I have Mr. Chris and Zach from South Dakota Wildlife Federation. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing good. Good. So um, for those who probably, you know, they might have heard of South Dakota Wildlife Federation, but um, they might not know the gentleman behind the scenes. So I'm going to go ahead and have you guys introduce yourself. How about uh, uh, Chris? How about you? Hey, I'm I'm Chris Hassel. I live in Pierce, South Dakota. I've been the executive director of the South Dakota Wildlife Federation now about 23 years. and pretty involved in all the legislative stuff and, and most of the Game Fish and Parks Commission meetings and, and those type of meetings. And I, I work for a board of, of conservation people throughout the state. We have 16 state affiliates and a board of directors of 16 people of which Zach is a volunteer president. Um, he's elected every year and um, he's from Watertown. Awesome. Zach, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself as well, please. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, Zach Hunky. I'm from Watertown, South Dakota, and um, I'm on my second year as the president of the um, Wildlife Federation here. And I got involved through some uh, non-meandered water talks um, and legislation that was passed. It um, is something I was passionate about, so uh, I stepped up and um, decided to get involved. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate it because we need folks like you guys. Um, what do you guys do for a day job? Uh, is this you guys' full-time gig or, you know, it sounds like a volunteer thing. So what, what are you guys doing uh, in addition to this? I'm actually an employee of the Wildlife Federation. So I have awesome. um, the, the funds that I raise, you know, through fundraisers and that and other ways of us raising money actually pays my salary. And I'm also a paid lobbyist for the South Dakota Wildlife Federation. <clears throat> And Zach? Yeah, I, I uh, run a business here in Watertown. So um, at times I have some some extra time to devote towards these issues. And at times I don't know where I find the time. <laughs> so uh, I, I keep pretty busy up here. Yeah, I'm sure uh, running a business is uh, very time consuming. Not that I would know, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's uh, let's talk about South Dakota Wildlife Federation. Uh, I personally actually only heard you heard about you guys about nine months ago. Um, so I'm guessing there's other people in the same boat and maybe people that haven't even heard of you yet. Um, so let's start off. Just go ahead and tell us. I don't know who wants to talk about it first, but tell us a little bit about uh, the organization and uh, how it came to be in the state of South Dakota. Well, I'll, I'll start out being that I've been around the longest here. Um, the Wildlife Federation started out in 1945 by actually a group of people in northeastern South Dakota who came back um, in World War II and found all their hunting land was leased up to non-resident duck hunters. And um, that started out the fight for uh, non-resident um, waterfowl licenses in the state. And that was really how the South Dakota Wildlife Federation was created. 
and that was one of our hot topics we've been oh fighting against the the over commercialization and and um the selling of our natural resources just for financial gain um you know we believe that seasons and limits and things like that should be set by science and not by economics and probably our worst words that ever came to fruition in in the wildlife federation was economic development because you know about the last 30 years every every person in the state who wants to sell natural resources for a profit uses that as a as the sign to hang out and everybody seems to think that you know we we, we can live and, and survive on natural resources and we really can't. You know, there's a limit to the natural resources and the, there's a limit to the, the amount of birds we can produce and, and the people we have hunting them. And that goes for pheasants, you know, deer, ducks, whatever. There has to be a limit and it has to be um, managed by science. Absolutely. Anything yeah, I you agree. I agree with you 100%. Um, and I think it's just to add to what Chris said, um, you know, we also represent the the average person, right? And we try to make sure that uh, hunting and fishing and our outdoor heritage is obtainable by uh, by people that maybe don't have the means or or maybe don't have the want to pay a high price tag to be able to go out and enjoy what South Dakota offers. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh seems like it's a constant battle for us to keep the well the natural resource around and especially the public lands that are available to uh, to all of us. Um, so what is South Dakota Wildlife Federation's? I guess do you guys have a mission statement, or what's how would you sum up your main mission? Well, I think we're a little different than most conservation organizations. We're an activist type organization. Um, we don't purchase land. You know, we support the purchase of land to be used for public use, you know, by other non-government organizations along with the government. You know, we probably support more land purchasing by game fishing parks, um, you know, BLM, the Forest Service, things like that, because we, we, we believe one of our strongest things we believe in is public access to public lands. And, you know, we all have to have a place to recreate and we have to keep it, you know, free or, or relatively free for everybody so everybody has an equal chance because in south dakota the wildlife is owned by the people and um it's supposed to be held in trust by our government which is you know game fishing parks in the state of south dakota for the use of the people so that's one of our mission you know that's one of our most important mission statements or part of our mission statement is to keep that access and, and wildlife open for everybody absolutely zach anything to add yeah, I think Chris um, said it really quite perfectly. We're an organized effort uh, to represent those interests uh, of the people. And without uh, that organization, it's really tough to uh, have people's voices heard, right? You, mm -hmm. we're, we help organize that effort and um, help accomplish things get you know in, in order for uh for people to be able to continue to have good experiences and access uh, they need representation and and i think we're that yeah so what are some things that sdwf is doing to accomplish that mission how do you go about you know 
advocating for people and what are some of the programs you have in place to maybe raise awareness or um, promote this um, legislation or activism? Well, I suppose one of the one of the big things we have is we offer a, a conservation camp every year to 110 high school students throughout the state. Um, we haven't the last you know last year and this year we haven't due to the COVID restrictions. Um, the Forest Service who owns the camp still hasn't um, taken those off, so we couldn't have our camp again this year. But we're in our 57th year of conservation camp where we send 110 roughly high school age kids out to a week long camp, teach them how to hunt fish, trap, um, the better things of conservation, how to fly fish. And, and through that, that, you know, that's one of the non-controversial things the Wildlife Federation does. And then we have another arm that, that goes into the lobbying and the legislative part of it. And um, that's probably two, two of the to the legs of the three-legged stool. And the third one is we attend, you know, most of the Game Fish and Parks Commission meetings, um, make sure that they're, they're setting limits, you know, that are based on science or we urge them to do that. Um, we aren't always available or can't always get our persuasion across, but at least we're there. We make our position known and, and we ask for, you know, we ask for their consideration when they make their decisions and license and seasons and things like that. All right. And so what kind of uh, other programs do you have and, and how do you go about, I guess, lobbying? Are you there? You're in Pierce, so I'm sure you're in a lot of people's ears most of the time. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I I guess I'll take that because I, I lobby full time for the Federation and then we also hire another lobbyist. Um, we have another full time lobbyist that we hire just during the session. And he um, has worked for us now about 30 33 years. So um, between the two of us, we have a long time, um, long standing friendships with a lot of legislative, a good, good relationships and, and history of, you know, that we're the ones to come to if you have questions about natural resources and hunting and fishing issues. Awesome. Zach, I think there was something you were, you were going to add there. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a lot of work. I was fairly new to uh, what it takes to lobby, but it, it really takes a lot of trust and, uh, and uh, the development of maybe some understanding between you and, and the lawmakers. And um, it can be really time consuming to try to educate uh, lawmakers every year. I mean, every two years, there's quite a bit of turnover inside of our legislative bodies. So you may have some individuals who don't have a very storied background on some of the uh, natural resources and wildlife education. And so you, you have to try to get to those folks and make sure that they have all the information they can before it comes to a vote. Um, you know, in order to make a good sound decision, um, somebody has to be able to uh, provide them with, uh, you know, the viewpoints of sportsmen and women of the state and outdoor enthusiasts. Absolutely. Um, so I saw this year, especially, I think, what is it called? The, the Camo Coalition, I believe. Um, it looks like you guys, I saw several updates you guys can continue to put out on your, your uh, social media pages. Um, so who, who runs that and what, can you explain what exactly the camo coalition is? Well, the, 
in the nonprofit world, there's um, non, you, you got a, what they call 501c3, which is a nonprofit. And then to do a certain amount of lobbying, you can do that as a nonprofit, but to go out and actually talk to candidates, um, you know, hire lobbyists, things like that, you got to create what they call a C4, which is a, the political arm of the Wildlife Federation. So the C3 is like the left arm and the C4, which is the political arm is the right hand. And the two of them work together. You know, we, we survive on the same body, which is the Wildlife Federation, but um, the Camel Coalition is our, is our lobbying arm and our, and our C4 arm. And that's, you know, that that's to do um, actual lobbying things. We can endorse candidates if we choose that. Uh, we can put out report cards of how they voted, you know, on our issues, things like that. It allows us to do more things. So that's where the Camel Coalition came from. And it was probably formed about, oh, 10 years or so ago by the Federation. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I guess my next question would, would go into how, when you, when someone, when a bill is proposed or when some legislation is proposed, and we're trying. You're trying to base the federation stance based on a scientific standpoint. Where do you get your information? Where do you see you you go to these statistics or these research numbers, or wh- where do you get that information to decide what stance the federation should have on a certain piece of legislation? Zach, did you want to handle that, or you want me to? Sure. Well, I can certainly start. Um, you know, I think. It, it, a lot of the information originates from some of the uh, excellent board members that we have. So we've got a, a really talented group of people that we work with. Um, some have, have a long history in working within um, the department or were biologists. And so, um, you know, and, and many of them were educated inside SDS, SDSU um, at they, they've got a pretty good uh, program for biology and uh, conservation officers and things like that of that nature. But, uh, you know, I think that's where we start is we get the, the ideas, their opinions. And then um, I think working closely with the department, which Chris does uh, quite a lot of to get some of the statistics and figures that are required. So that's, you have anything to add to that, Chris? Yeah, and I think the other part of that is is probably the history. You know, the with the Wildlife Federation being up there in the legislature for so long that um, a lot of the bills we see every year are aren't new ideas; they're just old ideas brought forward again. So, I mean, we have a history of a lot of these bills. Um, you know, being opposed to them or supporting them, just depending on what they are. But you know, most of the time we oppose them just because it, it's we see it as trying to take away more of the right, more of the privileges of the people of South Dakota versus versus not, you know, trying to save them. Um, it seems like commercialization is taking more hunting away from the common person, and um, and and that's where we're seeing our battles battles at. You know, it's just the person who can't pay to hunt is being pushed out, and that's just. You know, that's one of our strong beliefs is we need to keep everybody able to accomplish their outside goals on their own, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just see that more and more, especially, you know, 
personal experience going out west and trying to get permission to hunt sometimes and and just finding that well unless you're going to pay you can't let you do that unfortunate it's very frustrating so the public lands you know I, I think there's been a definite uptick in the number of people that are accessing them and using them um but it's also been diminishing it feels like um so definitely need people like yourselves and you and chris and zach to be doing that for us um and we need to support you guys so what do you think um so as going forward um i remember you saying chris economic development has been kind of the bane of the existence as far as um, public lands uh, and opportunities in this state. But going forward, what are your main concerns regarding conservation in the state? What do you see being um, probably the top couple threats to our heritage of hunting and fishing in South Dakota? Well, it it all boils down to habitat. Um, Without habitat for any animals, we have nothing for wildlife, you know, all the way from the bees bees to the songbirds to the game birds and deer. I mean, they all need habitat. I think the strongest thing we can fight for is is more conservation in the farm bill at a national level. You know, we as a state cannot pay for it alone. Uh, We as hunters and and conservationists can't pay for it. You know, we have to pay for it through the farm bill and and we need to support more conservation in the farm bill. You know, basically more CRP would be the best thing to start out with. Anything to add on that, Zach? Yeah, and at a local level, um, I think we're seeing a lot of these special seasons, right? There's there's a special season season for everything, and I would like to see our state go away from all these specialized seasons because what it's doing is it's putting a price tag um, on a tag, and so if if you uh, and we've seen it over the last couple of years. Um, they just keep coming and coming. They want a special season season for Bach West River and um, and now Antelope. And I think we we're trying to create all these special seasons for um, commercial operators. So you you're seeing spots that are um, being lost. And and not that um, commercial operators don't help put habitat. They they definitely have a place. I just don't know that South Dakota needs to have a special season for everything. Yeah. Uh, once again, it's becoming, can become the rich man's game. And I think that's kind of blurring the line or pushing the envelope on that. Um, so let's, I guess let's go back a little bit. Cause I think some people um, and probably myself included aren't entirely familiar with the farm bill. So how does that promote conservation and uh, how does that impact the sportsman's opportunities? Well, the farm bill is is provided by the national government, you know, basically the Department of Agriculture. And what it does, um, specifically the CRP program, sets aside acres that not necessarily are good producing acres, but they've been farmed, you know, that by putting them back into grass or cover and not farming them every year. And this provides just more habitat for birds and and things in the springtime, you know, the best best thing for habitat is to be undisturbed in the springtime. So that's why you see a a large production of pheasants and things around winter wheat, because that stuff isn't worked in the springtime Um, around grass, you know, um, nationally we're losing grasslands, you know, by the hundreds of acres daily, you know, and, and once those grasslands are gone, we lose a lot of wildlife and, and potential for wildlife because there's nothing better than grass. 
you know, and, and in, in this day and age when corn prices fluctuate, you know, and they go up high, they want to plant every acres. And then when they're low, they're, you know, the, the acreage that they had planted doesn't, doesn't produce anything, you know. So um, the farm bill helps with crop insurance. You know, it's all paid out of by taxpayer dollars. You know, the CRP program, um, CREP program, which provides access in South Dakota, great access, you know, along the James River Valley. Um, all of those programs wouldn't be available if it wasn't for federal federal tax dollars. And, and that's what I meant by the farm bill. That's why we need to be involved not only at the state level where we are in the legislature, but also with being an affiliate of the National Wildlife Federation, we also have our voice at the national level, you know, with their, with their people that are in DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's definitely, I mean, a small organization of a few people per state, you know, usually represents a, a specific interest, but it, it's, it's awesome that there's so many state affiliates uh, and then you guys can all back the uh, national organization and push the, push the legislation that needs to be pushed for, uh, for, for conservation, I guess. Um, so I guess my next question would be state Congress is not in session. Is that correct? At the time. Correct. Yeah. So what does SDWF do? I mean, is it, is it like a full year round job where you're building relationships, um, looking at legislation that's probably being probably going to be put, uh, up for the next session to decide on or what are you guys doing in, in this, I guess, quote unquote off season? Well, we, we, we raise money, you know, that's a year round job trying to raise money and, and keep us going. Um, we're working on proposals that are going to be in the game fish and parks commission, not necessarily at, at this month's meeting coming up, you know, next week. But in July, you know, we're working ahead. There's a couple of proposals that we're um, opposing that we're going to start getting the word out on that will be um, finalized in July. Um, we, we're working on, you know, promoting gardens. You know, the National Wildlife Federation has a garden program, you know, people to get, you know, plant and pollinator plots, things like that. You know, we support that education throughout the year, um, put out a, a newsletter. Uh, we're just busy. I mean, getting ready for next hunting seasons already, you know, keeping the, getting the word out, uh, running our social media, you know, it's, it's a busy, you know, we never really have a slow time. It's mm-hmm. just the legislative time is really busy. Um, we've had a couple of ideas on legislation, you know, being proposed to us, you know, from people thinking of introducing it and things like that. And, and we work with the game fish and parks closely to see what they're proposing and what their ideas are too. So. Yeah. Anything to add Zach is from your standpoint. Yeah, that's um, Chris wrapped it up really well. You know, we hear of legislation that may be coming forward and uh, whether we support it or oppose it, you start kind of working it and getting your brain wrapped around what the ramifications could be. And then, of course, you have a bunch of legislators that um, that hopefully feel the same way as you do, or um, you could convince them that um, maybe it's, it's a good idea or a bad idea, but uh, certainly you have to have that relationship in order to speak with them. And hopefully uh, through our newsletter and some of our other social media posts, our members uh, become active and 
um, basically are educated on the same issues so that they can speak directly to their legislators. And that's, that's a ton of work. Chris, Chris puts in a ton of time um, helping us get our message to our members and the public so that they can um, be educated when they speak with their um, representatives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, most everybody obviously has, has a full-time job and, and uh, they don't quite always think about all the legislation and the impacts that that's going to have on people. So having someone to kind of summarize it for everyone and, and uh, a place they can go just to get educated, uh, I think is incredibly important. I mean, I've utilized, utilized those resources and, and uh, several of those things that uh, you folks put out uh, when our state Congress was in session to reach out and, and it just made it easier to know what the talking points were and, and to be able to get active and, and uh, have our say, I guess. So um, it's a great resource that you guys put out. So I guess let's get into, there was some legislation as always, that was kind of controversial this year. And I think there's a couple of things this year that are major game changers. Uh, so let's get into that, and I think it might get a little <laughs> interesting because I'm kind of heated about a couple of these. Um, but this SRD 901, which was the uh, opposal to the executive decision <laughs> to combine the Department of Natural Resources and the Department of Agriculture. I mean, what are the what do you guys think? What's your guys' main concerns as this is going forward? I mean, we have the two, um, you know recreation and then we have the department of ag the two largest industries in the state of south dakota combining now under one department how is this going to affect sportsmen and how is what's this going to be doing going forward i could start i guess chris will probably have some thoughts on this topic as well but um obviously one of the main concerns is water and the quality of our water and so uh it's concerning anytime you've got the fox watching the hen house. I think that's the saying. So essentially the same department <clears throat> is in charge of enforcement and issuing the permits. So there's there was already a concern before the uh, two departments were merged on the ability of the DNR's um, staff to properly enforce the laws that were already um on the books you know they didn't didn't have enough staff we had some concerns here in watertown it seems like uh it took monument you know a, a monumental amount of effort just to um, comply with what the laws already were so there's a concern um as far as water quality um is concerned and and um you know the the overall cost savings um per year were around the same or less than what we spend on the nest predator program. And so you take two giant departments and you're not, you're not really getting a whole lot of uh, financial savings. I would have, I just think it was the wrong direction for our state there. Um, there, those two departments serve uh, distinct um, different scopes of work and they're both very important to our state. And, um, I would have liked to see them stay that way. I, I pretty much agree with Zach. He hit it on, on the head really well. You know, the, the enforcement arm of something shouldn't be tied to the to the Department of Agriculture. I mean, you know, they're, they're and in some cases, 
they're, they're, they're the worst, they're the worst people to not have a, a separate, I don't know, the, the two entities need to be stay separate, just because they, they go down the same path, but they don't always agree. Um, you know, enforcement needs to be separate from the biggest user or abuser, however you want to look at it. <laughs> I guess it depends on the year, but yeah, absolutely. It's kind of um, the checks and balances system uh, that was. Well, and, and it's not just agriculture. You know, we have quite a bit of mining out in the Black Hills, you know, uranium mining down in the southwest part of the state. You know, the DNR takes care of all of that, you know. And, and water is the most important thing to life. I mean, if we don't have clean water, you're not going to live. Right. So we haven't come up with a substitute for that. We can't grow that in a petri dish anywhere. So, I mean, you know, clean water is is just as important as bees and pollination is to the to our livelihood. So, um, you know, we need to keep fighting for that. And, and I think merging the two departments wasn't the best, wasn't in the best interest of the common South Dakota person. Yeah, I would I would be definitely agree with you on that. Uh, I guess unfortunately, all we can do is just see what happens from this point going forward, and and if they finally get to the point where they realize that oh crap, this is not a good idea. Hopefully, it won't be too late. No, CJ it came down to one vote. It came down to one vote in the Senate, so um, it was right there to being reconsidered. Yeah, and that's where. The uh, lobbying comes important, and, and then just the average Joe writing his legislators, dude. I mean, that's all it takes is to get that one vote is just maybe two more people, ten more people. I don't know how many more people um, to try to change their mind, but that's the importance of uh, everybody doing their part in this republic is, is we get to have a voice. Um, so then, yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people take that for, I mean, definitely take that for granted even if you do do a little bit i think we all take that for granted at some time um let's not forget that there are employees uh, <laughs> right um i guess uh, the next one would be house bill 1140 which was the open fields bill um there was a lot of heated debate among the hunting community about that specific bill i think there was also a lot of misinformation put out about that bill um, so I guess, I don't know where you guys want to start on this bill, but how is that going to impact conservation officers and their ability to do their jobs or how is it going to impact the sportsmen? Well, it's certainly going to benefit poachers. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And those are the scum of the earth already. So it's unfortunate because sportsmen care, right? They care. They want to, um, leave the resource or this earth better than what they found it. And you know, if you decide to purchase a license to take game or fish from the state's resource, I don't think it's too much to ask to be able to show the license to somebody. I think it's pretty reasonable. If you want to engage in hunting or fishing, I think you assume that responsibility if you're asked by a conservation officer to see a license you should produce that um, evidence and and now there'll be a, a lot of acres you know i think it's around 80 percent of the land is privately owned so there's going to be a lot of acres where people simply are not going to have to show their license 
um, or their or what they've taken, unless of course the conservation officer has a reasonable amount of suspicion that warrants him to go out there without permission. Absolutely. Chris, anything to add on that? Well, I think um, part of the problem is, is it creates two types of classes of citizens. Those that have the, the ability and, and the privilege to hunt on private property. And those of us who hunt, you know, basically on public lands. I mean, it opens everybody up who hunts public lands to, to search, you know, whether you're on the road or on the property and everybody who hunts on private land, you don't have that same, same, um, oh, worry about being searched, you know, whether you're under your, you have the proper license or you're under the, the limit and things like that, as long as you stay on the private property, unless the reasonable suspicion comes up, but define reasonable suspicion, you know, that's, that's like shooting, shooting in a fog storm, you know, at geese flying high, it's, you know, all you do is hear them and you don't see them and, and reasonable suspicion can be the same thing. You know, um, I just think it's a shame that the legislature chose and the governor chose to take that ability away from our conservation officers only. I mean, they're the only law enforcement group that this affects no one else, just, just our conservation officers. And I just don't think that's fair. You know, if wildlife belongs to everybody, it should be able to be checked. You know, when someone's hunting private land, they should be able to be checked for their license and their limits. You know, despite it's private property or public, you know, they're still hunting a public protected, you know, in trust for us. Yeah. It, it, it was amended too, you know, and, and um, when it, when the conversation first started, I, I thought it was a bit of a legal nightmare um, and I still think it is, you know, your conservation officer may believe that there's something wrong or, or not appropriate. And so, you know, if they don't want to, uh, or if they're concerned that maybe they don't have enough reasonable suspicion, do they call the sheriff? Do they have to have a sheriff come and check? Cause the sheriff is allowed in open fields, but the conservation officer isn't. Uh, would they call a highway patrolman to say, hey, you know, I believe that this is what's going on, but I don't want to go out there and check because then originally their their evidence wouldn't uh, wouldn't stand. They would uh, to lose it if if it was found that they didn't have enough uh, probable cause or reasonable suspicion. So it's it's just kind of a legal nightmare, um, especially the way it started. And I think is absolutely the wrong way to go for our state. I don't know. Um, and Chris may know, but I, I can't imagine there's very many states in this country who um, believe that that's a good idea. Yeah. I don't think there are any others that I know of. Um, you know, it, it's a tough deal for our conservation officers, especially especially when they're like every other law enforcement in this state. I mean, they go through the same training, they have the same qualifications, but yet they can't go, they can't enter private property to check a license. There's just, um, you know, something wrong with that. Yeah. And it goes back to creating those two, two classes of hunters once again. And it's just unfortunate. Um, and I, why that it was proposed by the governor is just beyond me. Um, what made her think that was a good idea in the first place? Um, well, it isn't the first time that we went through this fight. You know, the, 
open field was here oh, 10, 12 years ago when our Lieutenant Governor was a Senator at that time. And, you know, it got pretty close to passing at that time, but, it, you know, we, we managed to, to get it not put into legislation, you know, and right. So it isn't a new fight, but I mean, it was just something that, you know, it was probably being used in rule. You know, the conservation officers weren't going on private property like they used to just because they wanted to get along with the landowners and give them what they consider more respect to the landowners. But I mean, there's a difference when it's in rule and game fish and parks officers are observing it and when it's put into law. Mm-hmm. You know, what it has in law, it's got a lot more lasting effects, you know, and, and it'll never be probably turned back to what it is and what it should be. Right. Just to add to that a little bit, there was a common misconception within some of the legislator um, who hadn't been educated that these conservation officers had the legal authority to just walk into people's homes or what they call curlage, but that's not the case. Uh, this was specifically regarding open fields. So, you know, there's a, a certain amount of reason that if you can see somebody actively pursuing game out in an open field, that's not the same as, you know, driving up and walking inside somebody's home. They're two distinct different parts of the law dealing with that. So um, there was a misconception that maybe this was taking away a, a game warden's ability to come open up your freezer, but that just simply wasn't happening. It wasn't the case. Um, they were actually needing warrants to do that, that type of uh, thing if they wanted to enter into people's, um, you know, buildings. Um, this this was specifically for open fields, what you can see out in the open. Right. And I think a lot of people. Oh, sorry. Sorry, no, no, you're all right. Chris, do you have anything to add to that? I think that's what Zach yeah, was going to say. You know, another example of something that could be lost, you know, a lot of game wardens work at night, you know, poaching spotlights, things like that. And if now if they see a spotlight out in the middle of the field, they don't have the right to go out there and check, see what's going on. You know, and and we we're still a rural community. We're still a rural state, so there's a lot of lonely places at night out in South Dakota. You know, but a conservation officers out there sees a spotlight on someone's land, and he can't go out and check anymore. You know, he's just got to drive by. You know, now if they come to the road, that's a different story because then he can pull them over and ask them what they're doing. But you know, I would I know some landowners in this state who'd like to have that ability. You know, if a conservation officer sees a spotlight. And he knows who the landowner is, you know, a lot of them or most of them would probably like him to go out there and check the light in the middle of the night, but that's not the case anymore. He can't do that. No. And it's a shame, you know, that we, we call on conservation officers to, you know, when a small town has an emergency conservation officers go just like every other law enforcement, but yet they can't enter onto private property, check a hunting and fishing license for compliance. It's, it's sad. Yeah. What do you guys have to say to the people who are saying this is a good thing? I mean, I've seen this time and time again. They're saying this is a good thing. This this protects my individual rights and my freedoms to do what I want on private land, I guess. What would you say to those people? <laughs> what are you worried about? You know, what are you worried about? You're worried yeah. that I mean, if you have a license and you're lawfully taking game, who cares? You know? I don't know. I, I personally like to be checked for my hunting and fishing license when I'm out 
hunting and, you know, fishing in a boat or something, um, because I obey the laws and that doesn't worry me. You know, it's, it's the people who, who want to hide something, I think, you know, and, and, you know, if you're hiding something, what, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, which I guess isn't always a good thing. It doesn't make for a great conversation, but I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it, it's, it's a public resource and when the public officers can't do their jobs, it becomes a, a private resource in certain areas. Oh, I could probably talk about that for a while. Um, any last words on that specific bill? Nope. None from me. Jack? Yeah. Nope. All no, right. we beat that one up pretty hard. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it was a conversation that needed to be had. Um, so this one, I guess, I don't know. I can't remember specifically what the Federation's stance was, uh, but House Bill 1034, uh, increasing the youth age to uh, 18, younger than 18. So any youth licenses, um, you don't have to be under 16 anymore. You can be under 18. Um, what do you guys think? Good thing, bad thing? What was the Federation's standpoint on that? Well, we, we supported it to begin with, or I mean, we supported it to start out with and still do. Um, I think it's important to get the people involved, young people involved in it. You know, uh, I'm not so sure, you know, up to the age of 18 needed to be added into it, but I mean, anything, anything to get the participation numbers up, I think is good for the sport in the future. You know, and that's one important thing we're trying to support. Yeah, you're just getting uh, more education. I mean, you guys obviously do that quite a bit with your conservation camp. Unfortunately, wasn't that wasn't able to take place this year. Um, but yeah, I think that was a good thing, um, especially as we see hunter numbers kind of on the decline. Um, supposedly, I mean, there's a lot of people who would say that's not the fact, but <laughs> as a percentage, it is. Yeah. Um, well, the, the only negative impact it might have in, in South Dakota, it's kind of, kind of like that is, is our game fishing parks is all, all paid for by hunters and fishermen, fisher persons, license sales. Mm-hmm. You know, we have no general funds money from taxpayers going into game fishing parks. So, I mean, you know, the less people paying for licenses is going to hurt us sometime, you know, so we got it. We hopefully those 16 to 18 year old, young adults after they turn 18 decide to keep hunting and continue buying their licenses and stuff. So, I mean, you know, it's important to get them started, you know, but, uh, but uh, you can't have a free lunch forever, you know? Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, so I think that's, well, there was this, the house bill 1047, which was the landowner tag allocations uh, now switching to 250 max tags and, and put into a draw. Um, what do you what do you think about that? Was that a I think Federation supported that bill, um, and well, it, we, we we didn't support it in the beginning because it was unlimited tags. Okay. You know, when the first bill was introduced, it, it had unlimited tags given to non-resident landowners, and we were opposed to that. You know, but when they put in the two hundred and fifty, we supported it. Um, for just from the standpoint, um, non-resident landowners do contribute to the habitat and and other numbers of the deer, and and you know it's. It is important that, you know, I, I could see where a landowner puts in a lot of money in the habitat and has some deer on their property that it doesn't have the ability to, to hunt them. But at the same time, myself as a resident, you know, I should be able to shoot deer also. And there's a lot of counties in this state where it takes four or five years for a resident to get a tag. 
you mm-hmm. know, but, but the important thing with this was, was it's limited to 250 and it's only on their own property. You know, that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing they they have to stay to their own property. You know, we have some landowner tags in this state where they can hunt um, countywide, you know, and, and, and that isn't, you know, that's in question right now and that's being debated, but you know, at least these tags are limited to their own properties. Right. And uh, I think we, we lost resident deer tag license. Yeah. We lost Zach for a little bit, but we were talking about the, <laughs> yeah, non-resident <laughs> technical uh, error, technical error. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, but yeah, uh, I think Chris hit it pretty well. We were just talking about the landowner tag allocations um, and how, how that was a changing thing this year. Um, I do think that was a good thing. Um, I guess one thing that I didn't, we'll move on just a little bit. And I think this will probably be the last thing we're talking about. We're getting pretty long. Um, so I'm sure that, I mean, this is nationwide. This is becoming a, a, a big issue um, that I think people are, are very keen to turning a blind eye to because they just don't want to have to deal with it. Uh, what is, what are you guys' thoughts? Is there legislation or, or what do you guys, I, I'll just throw it out there, chronic wasting disease. Um, how, you know, is there, do you guys have any thoughts about how that can be managed, how that can be slowed down? I mean, I, I think it's going to be something that's going to be around for lifetimes and, and I don't think that it's going away anytime soon. Um, how, how would the Federation go about handling those, that situation? Well, it's, it's a peculiar one, um, because, it has been spreading in South Dakota over the last two years and it's just been getting worse and worse. Um, I know there's been several work groups, Chris, did you sit on any of those work groups for CWD? Yes. Um, you know, I think the department has taken a real proactive approach in our state and I applaud them for it uh, myself because if there's any way to stop this thing, we need to do everything we can or use all the tools in the toolbox I don't know if we need to start putting signs up on every uh, bridge that crosses the Missouri River saying, if you got a whole deer, just stop here right now, please. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah. Don't go any further. Let us check this thing. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, it's a bad deal. What do you think, Chris? I, I don't think anything we can do to, to stop it any longer. Mm-hmm. I think it's just uh, to stop the spread. It's kind of like zebra mussels. You know, they're kind of come or it's, are they've been here and we're just now discovering them. I think that's the same as CWD. I think um, I think it's been in our deer herds for a long time. It's just we're starting to, you know, test them and, and that and, and seeing that it's there. You know, um, we should have maybe we, we could have maybe been more aggressive from West River to East River. But the problem was, is we had a couple captive herds of elk and a deer, I think, in East River that already had it in the herds. And um, so, I mean, there was no stopping it as far as it being already East River. It was just in the wild herd, you know. And and I think now that it's crossed from the the, the public or the private herds into the, the public herds, I don't think we're going to stop it. We can just try to control it. But, you know, it's still... You know, a personal decision to have it tested, your animal tested. Um, there hasn't been anything scientific linking from animals to humans yet. You know, 
as far as um, Crutchfeld, Jakob's disease, that's the, the human version of CWD. Um, you know, it's, it's a concern. It's something you have to be aware of, but it's like a personal choice. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm hoping to get actually a, a, a biologist from GFP on to talk about that and, and the impact that's having on the state at some point. Um, so I think that's something that needs to be talked about and, and awareness needs to be raised. Um, but to end out here, I guess, let, let's say, let's talk about how, how can people get involved and, and where can they find out more information about South Dakota Wildlife Federation? Well, if you live in any of the 16 towns that have local affiliates, that would be the first way to get started. You know, most um, bigger towns, so we have an affiliate. Um, and other than that, you can join and not be an affiliate member, you know, come to our website, sdwf.org, and you can join that. You can join the the Camel Coalition get a daily update on legislative issues for free. All you have to do is provide your email. We send that out daily. Um, from time to time, we send out things happening in the in the commission to that same list. So, I mean, there's ways to get involved. Um, 30 bucks a year is our membership. Uh, affiliate membership's a little bit different, but, you know, get involved at the local level if you got a local club. You know, they're they're, they're looking for members. They're looking for new blood. Um, a lot of them, like up in Zach's Watertown, they uh, run a lot of fishing tournaments, uh, clean up litter. The local club here in Pier just had a kids' fishing day. Um, we're, we're involved in Sportsman Against Hunger, you know, clean out your freezer days in September. Uh, lots, of, lots, of, lots of ways to get involved. Just got to have a passion for it. Absolutely. Zach? Yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun too. Uh, other than I fished in the fishing tournament last week and, uh, pulled a zero, <laughs> did turn in <laughs> one wall. I was starting to wonder if I forgot either how to fish or even what one felt like. It was a long day, long day in the sun, but a lot of fun. I tell you what, I, um, it started out as, you know, I um, was just really passionate about the water issues and I still am. And now it's kind of become a way of life. And I hope that that happens for more people. Um, they kind of go through that transformation at, at first. You're like, man, what am I doing? This is taking up all kinds of time. Right. But then you start to grow to love it and, uh, and want to be even more involved. And I tell you what, if uh, we could use all the boots on the ground in January and February next year, uh, because when you show up wearing orange or any type of uh, affiliate shirt or something that symbolizes that you care about sportsman issues or outdoor heritage makes a big difference in peer. And it's really cool to see. So um, anybody that wants to make a difference, take a day off and drive out to pier if you don't live there and check it out. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I think it's something that uh, people need to be more aware of that we need to get involved and it's something that's never guaranteed year to year. So absolutely. We need to take a, take a stand, do what we need to do. And thankfully we have guys like you to uh, keep us on track, <laughs> but well, uh, I think we'll kind of cut it off there, but thank you gentlemen very much for coming on talking about it. Uh, and it's kind of a kickoff to this quote unquote conservation series. So I really appreciate your time and, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you guys again sometime. Thank you for the opportunity.
Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. And that is a wrap, folks. Like I said, these guys are super busy keeping this hunting and fishing heritage around for quite a while. So I'm glad to have people like these gentlemen to constantly be looking out for that. But it just can't be them. We all have to exercise our rights and be a voice, be an advocate for conservation. So follow along, get informed, become a member of SWF, and get involved in your local chapter because these hunting and fishing opportunities are not guaranteed every year. We have to continue to fight for them. But with that, we will cut it off. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care. Get out there and enjoy the beautiful state that we live in.